Yes, so you see, well, you are perhaps accustomed to hearing about this Josh Gad. What I'm actually referring to is a generalized anxiety disorder. However, I do believe that you have a very specific form of acrophobia that we call high anxiety. Hey everybody, Marty, IT guy, internet's coolest psych miner. Dad, I, what, I don't, I ruined my own thing. The music's got me messed up right now. I can hear it. It's, it's wild, but, uh, we're going to talk about high anxiety today. And already with the, the music, I feel I've done almost as much as what was done in the movie to create a spoof of something Hitchcockian, if you will. I'm already at that point. This has already happened. It's already done. It is essentially done at this point. So, I don't know. But yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at. I didn't love it. This is actually the second time I've seen it. I, th I think I've seen it before. I thought that I wanted to see it when I went through the Hitchcock phase. I went through a Hitchcock phase and I watched... I watched several Hitchcock movies. And then I also have some Alfred Hitchcock Presents like Bargain Basement kind of, uh, or Bargain Bin, I should say, DVDs. And I watched a few of those and, okay, maybe they're not for me all the time. But I do remember watching, you know, North by Northwest and loving the crap out of that movie. So I think there's a bit of a, here and there, a push and a pull, a give and a take. It's complicated. It's complicated, but high anxiety, not so complicated. It's it, to kind of just kill the whole thing. TLDR, right? To listen, didn't read. Um, too long, didn't listen. TLDL. It wasn't that great. And that, that makes me sad. I really wanted to like it and I remembered liking it. But in watching it now, I was, um, Mostly bored. So High Anxiety came out in 77, written by Mel Brooks, Ron Clark, Rudy, uh, De something, DeLima, DeLuma, I, I can't read my own writing at this point, and Barry Levinson. And this is a, a group of goofball comedy writers who go on to write other goofball comedies, but Barry Levinson goes on to write some serious movies, and I think that the way that this movie feels was that everybody had like a vision board, you know, there was a big board and everybody has their cards. And I'm like, I just thought of a great new gag. And then I don't know if they played cards to see which ones would be in the movie or flipped coins or did drinking contests or something like that. But it feels a bit haphazard and random at points. Whereas Hitchcock movies are, are extremely put together. I think that one of the perfect people who could really do a Hitchcock movie would be, would be Edgar Wright. Ryan Johnson already did uh, a very meticulous kind of detective movie that was almost Hitchcockian in ways in Knives Out. And I think that there's just a, a certain type of filmmaker that needs to really get involved in that process. And I think that none of these guys were. 
or the combination of them. If, if they are individually, the combination of them does not. But yeah, the, the, the music and the titles are, you know, the most Hitchcockian. And at that point, I was like, oh, that's right. I remember. And um, just right off the bat, a really weird uh, sexual assault by a homosexual man at that point. Just like right off the bat, like, here's a weird gay joke. So Mel Brooks's track records with, with gay jokes are really strange. Like, did those do numbers? Did, like, did those hit? Did those kill in 1977? I genuinely don't know. I'm just like, why so many? Por qué, Mel? Por qué? You know, uh, there, there's some good ones, right? Like uh, Professor Professor Little Old Man is like a Dr. Spaceman joke. Or, you know, Dr. Spaceman is like a Professor Little Old Man joke. If you've seen 30 Rock, Dr. Spaceman is still, and it's like in the first or second episode or something. But that's still one of my favorite jokes ever. Ever. Fucking Dr. Spaceman. Shit kills me every time. I'm laughing just thinking about it. And, um, you know, after meeting Little Old Man, we get kind of a vertigo falling kind of thing with the, the scoogly, googly background. And Mel Brooks just like, wow. And that is... 60% of of all the, the Hitchcock kind of reference or spoof right there is, is just that. And it happens a couple times. And the, the whole movie, the premise is that he's a psychiatrist because they didn't really have psychologists at the time or not so much as they do now. And he's going to uh, an institute or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? It doesn't fucking matter. And um, it's kind of like an asylum. And then there's a nurse ratchet, kind of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, played by, um, God, what's her name? Played by Cloris Leachman. And she is literally one of the most off-putting characters that I've ever come across for so many reasons. Like, there's um, there's a scene where she and and Harvey uh, Corman's character, right? So Nurse Diesel and Doctor Charles Montague, and Harvey Corman's super funny, and Cloris Leachman, I'm sure, is funny. But the direction for this and the script for this was was not, at least not to me, it was very off putting. But there's a scene where she's legit, like BDSM, doming Harvey Corman, and that's the least weird and unusual kind of space that you or kind of interaction that you get with the character of nurse diesel so it's really um it's really not great really not great from there from a character perspective not great we don't get madeline khan until well into the movie and that's sad because i really do enjoy madeline 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 khan i have a hard time saying that quickly Hmm, yes, quite. Ron Carey, Carey, Ron Carey uh, is back in all these movies. He's going to be in History of the World again. That's a, a great part for him, but he's brophy and he's medium annoying in this one. He doesn't, they don't sell him well. Uh, yeah, it's not great. It's not a great movie. There's a bunch of plot that doesn't matter and there's like a, a 
a scheme and it also doesn't matter all that much, but they, you know, there's a thing. I don't think it's a good parody or a good movie. I think that they didn't parody enough. So the parodies are kind of like really spread out. It's, it's half in half out. Like they didn't commit hard enough. And, and maybe this is from growing up with, uh, you know, national lampoons and the scary movie stuff and, and all that. So maybe that's on me. Maybe, that, maybe that's the more modern sensibility. But silent movie was not a mean parody. Like it wasn't people being like stupid. It was that was how they made the movies. So it was more faithful, I felt. More genuine, more true to what they were attempting to achieve. And I think that that guidance really wasn't here is like are you making an Alfred Hitchcock movie right are you or are you doing a, a twist on it are you doing um a Chris Nolan you know because I call him Chris he's my boy are you doing a CN you know or are you doing a scary movie are you doing a hot shots or are you doing a Tropic Thunder even and it's it's none of those or all of those all at once and maybe that's kind of why I don't love it there's like a lot of characters. We know who the bad person is kind of right away. Like we know the plot fucking almost instantly. Uh, and it's just like, oh, maybe you get like a little red herring here and then it pops off. But there's not much to it. Um, I mean, the performances, there are definitely funny moments. There was one... Harvey Corman moment that I can almost guarantee you no one will pay attention to that I laughed out loud at. And um, it's just a dumb thing, and he's saying something stupid. <sighs> and I'm so sleepy. I'm sorry. I apologize. But he's saying something stupid, and he goes to sit down, and he just misses the couch. And I think that people sitting down poorly is one of my favorite things. Forgive me, but there is one Family Guy joke that I will laugh at every time, and that's the one where it's a flashback, and it's like, you know, that's almost as wild as that time I forgot how to sit down. And then you see Peter walk up to, like, an armchair and look at it, like, eye it, like, suspiciously. And then he just, like, impossibly quickly, like, in, in too few frames, throws himself onto the chair, and it, like, breaks, and he's, like, in a, a tangle of limbs. And I was just like, that, that, that... Sitting down is such a normal thing, so to, to be bad at it is very funny to me. But yeah, a lot of these people will show up in History of the World, and I'll talk about that at some point because it is in this collection. Yeah, they just they could have done more. I don't know if, if maybe a lot of the historically significant movies to us in you know the 2020s or whatever just hadn't been made yet. But definitely like Shutter Island would have been there. And even... Even then, Shutter Island is still a bit of a feel, a bit of a mood, you know, like, um, so you know how Inception is, Chris Nolan falling asleep watching Levy and Rose, and he imagines or has a dream that somebody's in his dreams to steal his dreams, and it's uh, Marion Cotillard, I can't pronounce French names, I have a hard time, forgive me. So that's Inception, and then, you know, so on and so forth. Maybe Shutter Island, uh, I think which was Scorsese, is like, uh, I fell asleep watching High Anxiety and I could make this movie a million times better. And then he did. 
you know, than he did. There's one really good gag where they're checking into the hotel and, and, you know, the clerk says, oh, we had that room ready for you, but then Mr. McGuffin called. That's a good gag. That's a good one. There's a couple in there that I laughed at out loud. Harvey Corman one, the, the, the Mr. McGuffin one, and a, a couple more. But in terms of parody, it, it picked up after like well into the movie, either that or, or the, the cuts were so deep, the baseball, so inside as to not allow any light to escape, to be a black hole baseball, just absorbing all of the, the jokes and the knowledge. But in the hotel, there's a, a psycho scene that I legit laughed at for like five minutes. And um, then they actually begin to do parody nods like after the psycho scene they do a scene with the birds and i'm like oh i get it that's cute and then it keeps going and it's just worse and worse and worse as it goes on and it's really bad as it pays off allegedly yeah it's not um it's not my favorite uh the the one that i did like is when he's on the phone and he calls um he calls victoria or madeline Kahn. uh mel brooks does and he's like, yes, I'm in the north by northwest corner of Golden Gate Park. And I was like, ah, oh, that's cute. That's very cute. I don't think anybody dials M for murder at any point in the movie, but I may not have been looking at the time because I was very bored. I was very bored. I don't know if that's me or, or, or the movie or what. But, you know, a lot of people did a lot of funny things. Just not in the right construction of them. If you want to put it that way, you know, they even do like a fake Hitchcock cameo, but the, the, the movie felt forever long. Like do, do I wanted maybe more of these things or, or more just jokes period. Right. Cause they're Hitchcock movies are, are relatively serious. So Mel Brooks is generally playing a straight man in a, a, a generally realistic, logical world. Not not where the goofy logic jokes come in, as I liked to to call them. And I didn't. It just it didn't vibe with me. It didn't vibe with me at all. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's definitely moments, and they can be clever. But overall, I would not recommend high anxiety. And uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hit it with the like. I'm just not gonna do it. I can't. I thought I liked it. But maybe I really wanted to when I first saw it. Maybe because I was like 20, whatever. And I was like, oh, I gotta like this shit. This shit's cool. Uh, I'm fucking 30, whatever now. And I'm just like, fuck it. I don't have time. So that's, uh, that's where my head's at. So yeah, Twitter. At CoolMarkD. Letterboxd at MarkD20. Be nice. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Black Lives Matter. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm trying to do these once every day. I'm trying to get through them. There's nine of them. That's a lot. I think after these nine, I might call it the season and take a a, a season break because that, that makes logical sense to my silly, stupid brain, my human uh, blob of allegedly cognitive garbage that is in between my ears. So I'll see you then. I'll, well, I'll see you tomorrow, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how things go.